Hey marketers, if you want to get the latest news, trends, and insights in marketing, advertising, and tech, check out the Adweek Podcast Network. Learn from leading voices across media and marketing with original shows like Yeah, That's Probably an Ad, Marketing Vanguard, and Tech Magic with Kathy Hackle. Start listening now by searching Adweek wherever you listen to podcasts. My dad works in B2B marketing. He came by my school for career day and said he was a big ROAS man. Then he told everyone how much he loved calculating his return on ad spend. My friends still laugh at me to this day. Not everyone gets B2B, but with LinkedIn, you'll be able to reach people who do. Get $100 credit on your next ad campaign. Go to linkedin.com slash generate to claim your credit. That's linkedin.com slash generate. Terms and conditions apply. LinkedIn, the place to be, to be. You're listening to, yeah, that's probably an ad. This is a bonus episode, and we're here specifically to introduce our new co-host you may have caught on our last episode. It is Sammy Main. Sammy, it's uh, good to have you on as in your new official capacity. I thought you were going to call it, yeah, that's probably a Sammy. <laughs> I <laughs> probably... want that on like a t-shirt. It's like, yeah, that's probably your life, Sammy May. We, we've brought people from your past God, here. No. We should bring They're that show con- back. <laughs> <laughs> Nightmare. And so uh, Tim had uh, Tim Nutt, our longtime creative editor, who recently left to go on to the Clio Awards, uh, who we wish the best. But um, he had been our co-host since we had launched uh, 78, 9 episodes back. Uh, and so uh, Sammy's been on quite a bit, so hopefully people recognize you. But I just want to take a minute, uh, since you're going to be on there every week, to kind of introduce people to who you are. Your current job, is, we'll start there, we'll kind of work our way back. Uh, sure. Your current job is social editor of Adweek, which means you run our social media accounts. It's a role that uh, I had many moons ago. <laughs> uh, and uh, But why don't you tell us a little bit about what you do as social editor here? For sure. So I'm I'm kind of um, sometimes I, I picture like the I don't know gears of a machine going, and I'm kind of toward the end of that <laughs> Rube Goldberg that is Ad Week. Um, so kind of as stories get filed and once they get published, I'm in charge of making sure they go on you know the more most relevant platforms, kind of for for those posts to do best. Um, I sort of maintain our. Um, All of those social platforms that you see us on, Instagram, Twitter, Facebook, LinkedIn are kind of our main ones right now. Um, And I'm kind of, you know, last looks, as they say in the entertainment industry, making sure kind of all the images and, and, you know, any any errors that may need to be fixed, I'm kind of our our last glance. Um, But don't hold my feet to the fire. (laughs) We do still have mistakes. We're all human. Um, So I'm kind of, I I look at that and kind of make sure we're um, continually posting on the social channels and interacting with folks. And I also keep an eye on any trending or breaking news stories since kind of always one eye on Twitter and TweetDeck. Um, Kind of the the first wave of those hits me first. Um, And that's kind of my, yeah, my day to day. And you bring up a really important point that I don't think a lot of people appreciated about social media is that it's one of the only jobs where you kind of see everything Mm -hmm. that goes out the door. You really do. Uh, you know, it's like most of the editors at Adweek, uh, myself included now, I've taken on uh, Tim's role as creative editor, and we're very focused on our section, but the social editor sees everything. And, mm. uh, you know, there, to, to your point, that's it puts you in this kind of last line of defense role 
Uh, but also, for the purposes of this podcast, it means that you'll be generally familiar with just about every kind of story we talk about. Pretty much. It's kind of the the curse of Twitter, too, is that you see a lot of headlines. You don't always click them, though, huh? <laughs> uh, so I kind of, uh, you know, um, a jack of all trades, master of none, <laughs> sometimes the curse of the social editor. Um, so I read as much as I can, but sometimes the news can be too much and it all flows by so fast. But yeah, I do I do tend to see just about everything there is to see. Now, before you were social editor, you've been doing that for several months now, but before mm-hmm. that you were a digital media uh, reporter. Now, that's a position we've had for a while, but every person who's done it has taken it very differently. Mm-hmm. Uh, you felt like, it felt like you were a little more uh, focused on influencers video, which are obviously huge growing aspects of the industries we cover. Uh, tell us a bit about the kind of stuff you were covering covering in that role? Sure. The The way I kind of ended up describing it to people, it was I was um, kind of like new entertainment. So maybe that's like a new original series on Netflix or Hulu, kind of things that people were talking about. Um, same with like podcasts were, were super, I don't know, <laughs> they're, I guess they're becoming more ubiquitous, but you know, you still get people who don't really listen to, to many. Um, so kind of keeping an eye on that emerging industry as people figure it out was also a fun part of my job, um, as well as paying attention to more traditional publishers, whether that's new media, kind of digital first or digital only players, or kind of how, you know, the Condes and, and Hearsts of the world were dealing with things um, and, and what they were doing to kind of not only stay afloat, but get ahead. Um, so I was kind of, you know, looking at, at all of those different topics and, and kind of making them as relevant as possible for our readers so they could learn how to do their jobs better. Now, I, I believe we poached you away from Tech Insider, but what <laughs> I really want to make sure that we have time to talk about is because you, you kind of won the lottery in a bit, not to imply it wasn't through your own talent and hard work, <laughs> but coming out of college, you ended up uh, interning at BuzzFeed, correct? I did. Um, yeah, that one is almost a very much like a bootstrappy sort of story. Uh, so BuzzFeed, as, as many of you may know, they have a contributor sort of network. Um, A community is what they call it. And anyone can make an account and start making BuzzFeed posts. And I discovered that my junior year uh, in college and I was studying journalism. So I was trying to figure out kind of how to do that for today's internet because we still, uh, some of my classmates had trouble grasping the fact that all of their quote unquote blog posts needed to have images. (laughs) <laughs> like it was kind of a weird time, you know, uh, 2009 to 2013, where we were still getting used to what social internet even was um, and how that affected kind of journalism. Uh, so when I was um, becoming this sort of community contributor and I was figuring BuzzFeed out as I went, um, eventually I was applying for their fellowship, which is basically an internship, kind of they run in, in three month cycles. Um, and I accidentally kind of did that on my own is kind of what initial interviews with them said. And I was still a junior. So they, you know, kind of gave me, uh, the year cause you can't always just hire people while they're in college. They'll leave you and they'll go back to college and that's not always great. Uh, so when I was finally getting ready to graduate, uh, BuzzFeed was still the only place I was really applying to cause that was kind of the, the dream back then. Um, and they were very kind, and they ended up creating an intern position within their animals department because um, that was kind of, uh, you know, I would still say my bread and butter, <laughs> maybe what I <laughs> what I enjoy the most online, and you know, enjoy spreading the good word of to other people. 
Um, and I ended up uh, working with still one of my really good friends who um, also does improv. So it was kind of just a really goofy, fun first job experience. And then I, I ended up staying there for three years or so. Now, I, I, there's so many things I want to talk about. You, like you really are a, uh, not just saying this, uh, you're a very fascinating person. I feel like every time we talk, well, there's like a million different things we could talk <laughs> about. Um, I do want to talk about improv since you mentioned that. Yeah. Uh, that's one where I feel like it's become a bit of a joke now where when I'm, because of you and some other of our colleagues and people we know, like when I meet someone and they say, yeah, I've got a lot of social anxiety issues. And I'll say, oh, how long have you been doing improv then? <laughs> yeah, boy, we all got cursed with that hobby, huh? <laughs> So what is that about that? I mean, that feels like the absolute last thing you'd want to do if you consider yourself someone who has even minor social anxiety issues. Like, but, but you talk very positively about improv and the effect it's had on you. Oh, I love it. So I first started improv um, back in college, and I started it because I did theater in high school, which was really fun, but I knew I wasn't going to do that professionally at all. I, I knew that kind of wasn't where my passions were, even though I love being a ham. And so when I got to college, uh, some like, I don't know, like student guide, I forget what we call them. Oh, we call them the Cicerones. I forget what that means. Anyways, uh, they were like, well, if you liked theater, we have this weird improv group that performs pretty regularly. Maybe check them out and like go to some of their shows. Uh, and so I went to whatever their first show was that freshman semester and immediately fell in love. I don't think I had really seen live improv before. Um, was definitely one of those kids who loved, you know, whose line and you know, somehow even as like a young child respected Saturday Night Live for like what it takes to put on a live production uh, in that scale and capacity. Um, very deep as a child. Uh, so I, I, do, I, I, you know, saw their show and um, my – College was University of Florida, and the team was Theater Strike Force. Um, uh, it's been around, God, longer than I've been alive, I think, or maybe just about wow. the same amount. Yeah, it was one of the oldest and biggest uh, collegiate improv groups in the country. Uh, and they are always taking new members. And I was like, cool, I'll see you Monday. <laughs> like, I will be there with bells on. Try this out. I dragged some of my high school friends um, who, you know, how you're still friends with high school people when you're in college. And then that kind of fades away <laughs> once you meet other people. Um, so I made us all join. So I wasn't alone and ended up just falling in love with it. So I've been doing it ever since. Um, to me, it's magic. To me, any art form is magic. Like, I can't it's unfathomable how things, uh, you know, start in your mind and, and end up being created. I think that's one of the coolest things, whether it's writing or painting or, you know, improv and, and theater. Um, and it's just so fun. You just get to play pretend with other adults and be goofy for however long you have. And like it's crappy bar shows sometimes. And even that's a bonding experience. Like it's really joyful when you're when you're with the right people. Um, and it's super supportive and it's all about listening and it's just, I could go on and on. There's so many life lessons we can learn from improv, but I don't think I've ever had, you know, social anxiety around improv. And I do think it helps people kind of stay on their toes and stay loose in, in other situations. So I think it helps a lot of people and I recommend it. Even if it terrifies you, the whole point is that no one cares <laughs> and everyone looks like an idiot together. So like go out and try it if you've been thinking about it. Everyone looks like an idiot together is 
kind of our like staff mantra, right? Like if we're <laughs> if we're all stupid, no one of us is stupid. Exactly. <laughs> there was a tweet from like a while ago that was someone like the New York pedestrian rule is like, well, they can't hit all of us. <laughs> like if you all cross the street together, no one dies because they can't do it. <laughs> Herd immunity to mm-hmm. the drivers. Pretty um, much. S- so uh, you also have quite recently written a book. Tell us about that. Oh, goodness, yes. Uh, so, yeah, it comes out May 1st, which is, boy, just right around the corner. Um, and it's a book called How to Deal, Tarot for Everyday Life. Um, it is such a good name. It's That's a very a good, good name. name. That was like a joke name I came up with and threw out during one meeting. And we were like, ha, ha, ha. That's probably copywritten from whenever that movie came out. And then it like wasn't. <laughs> and then we were like, well, kids get it. And then we were like, it's a pun. It'll be fine. Uh, it went through a lot of <laughs> a lot of emotions. Um, so, yeah. So I, I um, signed that contract Gosh, back in May 2016. So publishing books is such a much longer tale than publishing anything online, much more than I could have anticipated or prepared for. Um, And it's just a a fun little, you know, hopefully relatable, helpful guide for anyone who wants to teach themselves how to read tarot cards, because that, I learned, is how it happens. You don't just get born knowing it. You have to study and kind of practice as you go. Um, And there wasn't really kind of a workbooky, young sort of book for, for people Um, And so I made one and I'm super excited and it's crazy that it's finally happening and I guess it feels real, but maybe it will never feel real. (laughs) Who knows? No, no. As a like grizzled humanist who really has zero spirituality whatsoever, Mm -hmm. I have to ask like – do you do you really feel that you are somehow seeing into the future or seeing anything, you know, in a supernatural way? Or is it really just more about kind of to the point of the name of your book? Is it really just kind of about making sense of your own story and your own path through life? You and I have never talked about this, so I really don't know know what your answer is. On yeah. This. Um, oh, my brain just tried to go to so many places and it was about to go to like my childhood. <laughs> like That's not what we're here for. Oh, we only no. have 20 minutes. <laughs> Um, so kind of how I see it, uh, I, so I go to a tarot reader every once in a while, not super often, and she's bonkers cuckoo bananas. And the way she, uh, does tarot is like kind of in six month cycles. So when she does a reading, she can see like six months into the future and she knows that very clearly. She also communicates mostly with, uh, the archangel Michael, uh, and he's the one who kind of leads her hands when, um, when dealing cards for people. For me, I don't quite see it as, um, spirit spiritual. For me, I kind of consider it like the universe and sort of, Fate. I I also refer when I do tarot readings, I kind of call them forecasts. So it's kind of like, here's what things are looking like right now in your neck of the woods. But that could change, (laughs) you know, depending on, you know, what you do or how you end up seeing things. Um, And a lot of people I do readings for, they do end up being more therapeutic and cathartic more than anything else, where it's kind of either reaffirming something you were already thinking was going on Or it kind of does open your eyes into a new perspective or maybe a new person for you to turn to, you know, through whatever you're dealing with. Um, I have one friend who I used to do almost weekly readings for her back at BuzzFeed when I was kind of starting to learn and wanted to practice. 
And she would always, always, always ask about like this guy problem she was having. And the tarot would always, always, always give her a reading about her career because <laughs> the universe was like, please stop worrying about that douche and just focus on getting better at your job. <laughs> like the the cards, when they come through me, they do kind of tell you, you know, what you need to hear rather than what you want to hear. There are some tarot readers who, you know, they'll ask you a ton of questions, which is good, but then they kind of use that against you and like make you feel like you're getting your money's worth. And for me, it's more about, even if I don't know you, even if you're a complete stranger on the internet, you know, there's a way that these cards can relate to your life if you're kind of at least a little bit open to them connecting to you. Yeah, it sounds like yours is like a much more tough love tarot. Sometimes, yeah. Sometimes <laughs> it's real goofy and, you know, I don't know. It's funny the way the cards come out, but um, yeah. I mean, I sometimes feel like, like, like most reading type things, to your point, it's like people want, they kind of tell you what you want to hear so that you'll keep coming back. Like they string yeah. you along a little oh, bit. Oh, for sure. Yeah. Um, yeah. Uh, well, the uh, we don't have too much more time, so I did want to ask you. Uh, obviously, this is a podcast. I'm curious what other <laughs> podcasts you listen to. Um, so the <laughs> there's a podcast called My Brother, My Brother, and Me, and they just had their 400th episode come out this week on Monday, and I have already listened to it maybe four times. It is so joyous, and those boys are so funny. It's usually an advice show, and they just kind of goof and riff on things. And it's also, as of last year, um, a streamable TV series. There's about six episodes out. Uh, It's just so goofy and good, and I support any and all McElroy products. (laughs) Um, So My Brother, My Brother and Me is good. Speaking of McElroy's, The Adventure Zone is also good which is uh, about to start its second season. It started out as a D&D podcast that those brothers of the previous show do with their dad, who knows nothing about D&D. Uh, so half the time it's them explaining the rules to Clint, who chooses not to listen to them. Uh, but they're starting their second season, I think, later this month, and it's uh, a different sort of tabletop uh, sort of role-playing game. So it's not D&D. I forget what the actual style is. It might be like Monster of the Week or something like that. Um, Delightful, a bit of escapism, you know, it's storytelling and it's fun and it's still goofy, but like gets real sometimes, which is cool. Um, Those are excellent. What else am I listening to? Um, Okay, cover any little ears. Uh, There's a podcast (laughs) that is basically a Real Housewives and Bravo recap show hosted um, by Casey Wilson is one of the co-hosts and Danielle Schneider is one of the co-hosts. And it's called um, Bitch Sesh. Don't know if that'll end up getting bleeped. Anyways, they just gab and talk, and they have guests sometimes, and it's all about Real Housewives, and I love that very much, too. Um, I listen to a podcast called Sleep With Me, which is uh, stories for adults to fall asleep to. Like, it's just a dude who makes up, spends, like, hours crafting these very boring, monotonous stories and reads them to you and to help you fall asleep. So that one's helpful. Do Do you listen to it to fall asleep? I do. I think now it would almost be Pavlovian. If I listened to it at any other time of day, I'd be like, (laughs) bye. (laughs) Like instantly under my desk, like can't even help it. Yeah, I play it. um, Yeah, usually. Yeah, only when I'm when I'm like ready for bed because it is that like droning, boring, you know, you're not supposed to follow along. But if you do have trouble sleeping, then there's like someone there kind of keeping you company, which is nice. those are some main ones for me. There's always probably more, but those are some good ones right now. Nice. Well, you've got – I feel like we've barely scratched the surface of other uh, 
uh, side hustles and different things you've got going. But that's just another reason people should keep listening to the podcast and keep getting <laughs> to know more about Sammy. Uh, you're going to be back each week. And uh, yeah, that's it. So we really just wanted a chance to kind of get uh, to chat because we're so focused on all the news and all of the coworkers and stuff we have on each week that we never really get time to talk about each other uh, yeah. and about our feelings and our needs. You know, these <laughs> it's are important. important. One day important. We'll, we'll do you soon. How about that? Maybe you <laughs> haven't self, gotten the chance to. Self-care episodes every <laughs> once in a while. Love it. <laughs> <laughs> all right. Well, I'm David Greiner with Adweek and Sammy Mayne. You can look forward to seeing her each week on uh, yeah that's probably an ad and uh, th- thanks so much and leave a review if you haven't because uh, especially now that you, you've heard Sammy you can weigh in on how you feel we love when people call us out by name and tell us oh, exactly oh please do <laughs> I love a personal critique hit me with it tweet me I you know I eat those for breakfast <laughs> <laughs> alright well we will be back in just a few days with the next episode and until then uh, we'll talk to you soon